0: My name is Margie Krakowski with Wright-Harema Architects, Chair of Programs, along with my co-chairs, Megan Marshall with Jones Lang LaSalle and Tony Smaniato with Studley. Thank you for all your hard work. Next month, we have an exciting program featuring the new headquarters of Panduit. The headquarters team will be discussing the building design, vision, workplace systems, operational efficiency, and brand messaging of this lead Gold project. The Village of Tinley Park is sponsoring the program and as an added bonus we will have a real live NASCAR stock car sitting parked in front of the Magianos facility from the legendary Bettenhausen racing family. So come early and get your picture taken. Today's program is being podcast and will be posted to the website following the program. If you have your MCR You will be receiving continuing education credits for every luncheon you attend. Make sure you register with Beth and Chris by the front desk over there. And at the end of the program, we encourage your feedback. There will be a hard copy of uh, surveys going out today. Today's topic, Chicago Lakeside, more than a rock venue. Please welcome to the stage our distinguished speakers. Nasucha Mabwa is the project manager of development with McCaffrey interests and is responsible for managing the Lakeside development, the transformation of the former U.S. Steel mill site located in South Chicago into a 500-plus acre mixed-use lead new development community. Her main focus is on strategic and operational management and interfaces with local government, leading the development team to ensure the successful completion. Welcome. Philip Enquist, partner in charge of urban pl- design and planning with Skidmore Owings and Merrill. He is a leader of the global city design practice of the world's most highly awarded urban planning group. Phil and his studios have improved the quality and efficiency of city living on five continents by creating lo- location unique strategic designs that integrate nature and urban density within a framework of future focused public infrastructure. In 2009, the Chicago Tribune named him and his studio Chicagoans of the Year in Architecture. Adam Meek, our moderator today, is principal and CEO of Brownfield Management Associates, uh, which is an environmental real estate and IT consulting company that helps corporations unlock value from their non-performing real estate assets. Adam works closely with corporate executives, managers, and counsel to identify and capture opportunities that achieve both financial and risk management goals and priorities. Adam has been named a leading lawyer by the Leading Lawyers Network every year since 2005. He is also a board member of the Chicago chapter of Cornet Global. Thank you, Adam, and our speakers today. Thank
1: you. <laughs> testing, testing. Thank you, Margie. So, well, Good afternoon everyone, you've seen them and you've seen them, I think you've seen them, you've seen them, I've seen them. Point is, they're everywhere, they're all over. You may have seen them driving to work, you may have seen them out the window on the Metro train. You may have seen them um, driving to Wisconsin for the weekend. You may have seen them going down to Indiana or over to Michigan. You may have seen them in your neighborhood, or around your neighborhood, especially if you live in the city. What am I talking about? Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. Sometimes they look kind of scary, sometimes not so much at least on the surface. Again, what am I talking about? Talking about these. And these. And these. And these. And these. And these. And these. Dilapidated, run-down, often vacant properties from corner gas stations to mothballed industrial facilities, to large open vacant tracts of land once occupied by thriving companies, thriving factories, now just sitting there. And you ask yourself, what's up with that, right? Why is this property just sitting? And the especially depressing ones are the ones that seem to have so much opportunity for redevelopment. You look at these sites and you just wonder, why is it sitting week after week, month after month, year after year, maybe decade after decade? I don't know how well you can see this, but there is literally a tree growing out of the top of this facility, (laughs) right? I mean, that didn't happen yesterday. This has been sitting there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Who knows? But it's been there a really long time. So what do we do about these? And it's depressing not only for the sites themselves. It's depressing for the communities that surround them, because if you get enough of these together, it looks like a war zone, doesn't it? You know that could be what Syria or uh, uh, Lebanon or maybe someplace in Iraq. I mean, it looks bombed out, and it takes out an entire area, entire neighborhood. And in fact, if you can envision this at night or some of the other ones we looked at, it's kind of like a snapshot from uh, Gotham City or Gotham Suburb, as the case may be. So what's holding these properties back from a new productive use? In many cases, it's environmental issues, known or suspected, and the associated fear and paralysis that often goes along with it. Basically, that's on the buyer side and the seller side, the sellers are often worried because they don't want a boomerang liability. They sell this site, the site's going to come back and smack them in the head. On the buyer side, the prospective buyers are afraid of basically buying themselves into a Pandora's box of liability. Now, without getting into detail and putting you all to sleep after the pasta lunch, um, what I can tell you is that in most cases, these fears and the associated paralysis is unnecessary, or at least it's exaggerated, in the minds of both the sellers and the buyers. In other cases, you have situations where the market itself is challenged, the real estate market in the area. Now the fact is that doesn't need to be the end of the story. A lot of times it is the end of the story because people don't take the next step, but maybe it's just the right buyer at the right time with the right plan and the right resources to take this site in a new direction. So how do you turn this into this, and this into this, and this into this, and this, this, my favorite, Actually, no, that's not my favorite yet. Into this. This is my favorite. Take a look at that. And there you have baseball. Basically, in my mind, what it boils down to is three keys. Okay? Knowledge, vision, and commitment. By knowledge, I mean understanding what's a real problem and what's not. And when you face that problem, how to overcome it, how to box it, how to get your arms around it. And I would also lump experience under there too, because once you've done it, you now understand it. And it's easier the next time, and the next time, and the next time. Vision. How do you look at something that is so, and sometimes scary, um, dilapidated rundown, and see something beautiful? Okay, That's the vision that some people bring to these sites. They don't just focus on what's there today. They focus on tomorrow. They focus on years from now after the plan is implemented, what it can be. Perfect example of it. Who would have thought they'd be playing baseball there, right? And so these three, and, and, and commitment, the third, is really about tenacity. It's about resolve. It's about dedication to working through the problems, working through the inevitable uh, twists and turns and bumps and bruises that can come with these sites along the way. Now, you might be saying, well, what about money? I mean, money is really, you know, a key to this. If you don't have the money, you can't do the project, right? True. But in my experience, if you have the three keys, if you have the knowledge, and you have the vision, and you have the commitment, the money follows. Barring crazy economic downturns, But uh, the good news is it looks like um, maybe the worst of that is over and uh, it's uphill from here. We'll see. Um, so what we have today, today's presentation, this subject, McCaffrey Interest's Lakeside Project, is a poster child for these three keys to ultimate success. Right here in our own backyard, we have one of the best examples um, in the country, and and I would say even potentially around the world when you hear about some of the things that they're doing, of taking a dead property and the surrounding community and bringing it back to life. And as you're going to hear in a minute in the presentation, in this project there's something for almost everyone. Developers, contractors, um, architects, retailers, um, economic developers, um, attorneys, and, uh, you know, go down the list, government at all levels. It's amazing how many different stakeholders this development touches. So without further ado, I'm going to hand the mic over to Nasucha, who's going to tell us about this amazing presentation, or this amazing project. And after that, if we have time, we're going to do a little panel discussion, and then open it up. Uh, for you all to ask questions that you may have. Thank you. Nasucha?
2: My name is Nasucha Maba with McCaffrey and Trust, and thank you for coming today to listen about the lakeside development. We're very excited, and it's a great opportunity to share what's going on with you. Uh, I'm here today with Phil Enquist from Skidmore Rings and Merrill, our master planner, and we'll be Going back and forth throughout the presentation to provide you with an overview of everything that's happening. So, Chicago Lakeside is really a project of the future, and it's a 21st century neighborhood for Chicago. We are a joint venture with United States Steel Corporation. Uh, McCaffrey Interest and United States Steel own the land together, and we also see the city of Chicago as our <coughs> true partner also because of the fact that we have a t- tax increment financing uh, plan for phase one. Our development team is quite extensive. We group these into several different areas. Get have my glasses. Legal, technical, and sorry, I have to look at the computer, <laughs> sustainability. And uh, we've been working with these consultants for a long time, and we really see them as our whole team. The site is located in South Shore base of Lake Michigan. We are about 10 minutes from ten miles from downtown Chicago, 20 minutes driving, and in South Shore. We also are about 10 minutes from Hyde Park, University of Chicago, and very close to the Indiana border, but we are in Chicago. We are part of the Southside community. The United States Steelworks Southworks Mill was in production for over 90 years, and really created the whole South Shore community. And so today you have Quite a bit of economic decline because of the fact that over 20,000 people lost their jobs when the steel mill closed in the 80s. But we have a very vibrant community nonetheless that's managed to continue on. And it's very diverse and probably not what you'd expect. And as we've been working on this development the past seven years, we've really begun to form relationships with people in the area. The Commercial Avenue District is a retail shopping corridor. Uh, We have two aldermen. We work with Alderman Sandy Jackson and also Alderman John Pope, so the 7th and 10th Ward. So it's a very vibrant area. This is an aerial of the site, looking a little bit northwest. We often have uh, some difficulty trying to explain to people how large the site really is. And of course, many of you work in this industry, so you understand acreages and scale. But some people don't who come to meet with us. So we created this diagram to really show how large the site is. So we superimposed our site on top of the central business district for downtown Chicago. So we have the the river, and we have Congress over to Michigan Avenue. And you can see that our site is larger than the Loop, So it's just shy of 600 acres, and that's a big number. And so it can be rather overwhelming when you talk about the scale of the site. This is an image of the the site during World War II, when uh, the site was in full production, making a lot of steel for World War II. Uh, Also, US Steel made a lot of the steel for World War I war efforts. In the South Calumet River at the bottom of the the slide right here, you can see a a big military ship there. So there was about 160 buildings at that time on the site. And since all of those have been raised, there's only some more walls left and one building remaining today. This is how the site was formed. It is a landfill made of slag. Slag is a byproduct of steel production. And it's, uh, it's rather porous. It's not toxic itself. But this is something you would not be able to do today, just dump stuff in Lake Michigan. It's quite amazing that this whole site is a landfill. So we really sit out into the lake as a peninsula. So you get these tremendous views back to downtown Chicago. Uh, this is a diagram showing how much of that material ranges, 20 to 40 feet or so before you hit bedrock. So it's just good to kind of know what you're dealing with. We do have some geotechnical technical site challenges that we've addressed. And we know what we have to come up against as we begin construction. And that's about 2,000 linear feet wide. This is an image of the site today, taken not too long ago. So you can see all the buildings have been cleared. Uh, in the middle there, you'll see the north slip uh, body of water. We have a south slip as well. These two rectangular pads where when Solo Cup was going to make a paper cup making facility back in the early 2000s, they didn't end up doing that. And some roads were put in. So we have uh, some infrastructure in already because of their planning. And then we have the North Slip, like I mentioned, and the Calumet River to the south. And the top of the site is bordered by 79th Street. We use this diagram to really show what we're dealing with underneath the site. We superimposed all of the foundations from the buildings that were raised to the ground with our master plan. So this kind of helps us prepare what we're gonna be dealing with as we begin construction. And the photograph shows some of the the foundations ranging anywhere from like 20 to 40 feet thick in some places. U.S. Steel really makes things to last and so there's some serious concrete underground. Uh, Same thing with utilities, about 30 plus miles of utilities on site underground. And master plan, so I'll hand this over to Phil to take you through the master planning section. Phil?
3: Sucha, and uh, this has been a, a long process for us. We started planning the site for the city of Chicago I think when my son was in fourth grade, and now he's a senior in college, and uh, we're, we're getting closer. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's a site of unbelievable opportunity, as you can imagine, because it, it has this dramatic lakefront, It's also had a fence around it for 100 years, so now that the fence is coming down, the whole uh, Southside community can actually come out to its own lakefront. This is an image looking uh, with uh, Lake Calumet in the foreground looking up the Calumet River. The mouth of the Calumet River is right at the site. Uh, This is looking straight west. You can see some of the major boulevards from 79th, 83rd, 87th, coming straight through and now we have the ability to bring that Chicago grid right out to the lakefront. This is looking uh, north with this uh, distance of about 10 miles to uh, downtown and it shows our opportunity to continue the Chicago uh, lakefront park system. And this is uh, just looking at the community itself with a re-envisioned lakefront. Uh, The park district is talking about a significant marina we have uh, opportunities with the breakwater that stretches out into the state of Michigan, or I mean, state of Indiana, uh, which is just off the off the uh, shore is is Indiana's uh, state boundary. But we can use that breakwater. We think for uh, wind uh, energy, and this is the current plan. So the uh, the urban design framework was very simple. It was really to extend the uh, south side street grid to the lakefront, create a public lakefront, uh, extend uh, Highway 41, which we're calling uh, Lakeshore Drive, through uh, the project, uh, creating a new front door, ensuring that all the lakefront, including the uh, North Slip and the Calumet River Edge, be public. Uh, And it wasn't intended to be designed in isolation Uh, at all. It was intended to link seamlessly to the community that exists to the west. Uh, As I mentioned, the major east-west streets are really critical to sewing these two uh, sides together and linking the new community to uh, Commercial Avenue and the existing uh, community and the train stations. All of those blue lines have uh, metro uh, train stations. Uh, We have a significant park system. Nasucha will talk about in more detail, but you literally can, wherever you live or work, you're about three minutes from a public park. We have uh, ideas about uh, activating the waterfront, and uh, we'll uh, uh, engage the uh, Chicago Park District in a more detailed vision of that lakefront. The uh, plan is really based on narrow streets and small development blocks. Uh, we've been trying to emphasize mixed use, uh, walkability, uh, bicycle, uh, as well as transit. As you know, it's a site that's not easy to get to today. We're also looking at how to introduce uh, jobs, not just housing. A significant amount of retail, which uh, anchors this or centers this site uh, for uh, northern uh, Indiana as well as uh, Chicago. And uh, areas for research and product manufacturing as well. Phase one is to the north, and it will, uh, Nisucha will explain this in a little more detail as well, but starts at the north and builds to the south. We've recently assembled an international team, uh, including Ramble out of Copenhagen, WSP out of London, uh, Clean Energy Trust here in Chicago, uh, Cisco. To uh, help us develop a smarter infrastructure uh, platform, uh, Spaceco also here. We've developed what we call the Lakeside idea, which is really trying to create a community of the 21st century and infrastructure we will build that is of the 21st century, not of the 20th century. So, can I just talk about sure.
2: So Cisco Systems announced their partnership with the Lakeside team last week. Uh, their number two in charge, Wim Elfrink, was here from Europe. It's kind of a big deal. He was also the chair of the LISC Neighborhood Awards last week. The mayor was present at that event. This is a big deal for our development team to partner with a company like Cisco that has such a global reach. They're able to open doors and introduce us to many really innovative companies we otherwise wouldn't be able to connect to. And so since we've started that relationship last year, we now are in this four-month study Phil just alluded to with these other great European firms who understand, and, and also here locally the best way to kind of push this forward for innovative and sustainable technologies. So I just wanted to mention that's a big big deal for the team.
3: So one of the concepts was uh, recentering the region on the edge of Lake Michigan, uh, which is really talking about the role that Southworks can play uh, with northern Indiana with a a reimagined Gary Airport Uh, situated between the Gary Airport, Midway, and O'Hare, and uh, becoming a a commercial center hub for uh, not just uh, the south side of Chicago, but northern Indiana. We uh, have started to create some sketches that uh, re-envision the uh, North Slip as the center of this community where the the, uh, Lake Michigan... Uh, and this new neighborhood come together in a very exciting uh, urban place that I think is like no other in Chicago. I can't read that slide. Oh, lifting the entire south lakefront is, as I mentioned, one of the original ideas, not to look at this property in isolation. There's no fence uh, when this project is developed, and it becomes seamless with the south side neighborhood. Uh, I already mentioned this uh, clear urban framework, but it's really based on a Chicago street grid system. Uh, And uh, uh, minimizing the streets to uh, emphasize the width of the streets to emphasize walkability. Uh, We have been working with Ramble, uh, who has been doing a very interesting study on energy sources for us, uh, looking at minimum densities we need to build at to get to district heating and cooling and then uh, renewable energy sources like wind or sun or waste-to-energy opportunities to uh, offset the energy demands of this community. And studies are fantastic, like Chicago is putting about 90% of their waste in landfill, whereas Copenhagen puts about 4% of their waste in landfill. So a remarkable difference. The city could actually take the sludge, for example, from its sewage treatment plants and use that in anaerobic digestion and create energy. We could recycle much more in Chicago. So it's pointing to not just how to supply energy for uh, Lakeside, but also uh, how Chicago is rethinking their own uh, sources of renewable energy and their management of waste. We're also looking at new ways to deal with stormwater We've designed the park system so that it filters the stormwater and over 90% of stormwater can go back to Lake Michigan and not go into the Chicago sewer system. So for the first time in the Chicago region, we're taking the engineered water flow to the Mississippi River and putting that back into the natural water flow, which means the stormwater goes back to Lake Michigan. Uh, We're... um, as I mentioned, looking at uh, a number of energy sources, uh, we're hoping that uh, we can actually generate enough energy to renewable energy that could literally reduce the energy uh, costs of anyone living on the south side. Uh, reusing water and returning it to the lakefront, uh, getting to somehow a concept of zero energy or zero waste, where we're really looking at waste uh, as something that gets recycled into something else. Uh, WSP has been uh, tackling this issue of mobility and access. As you know, it's hard to get to the site, but with 41 being built, we'll have a new front door. We, we have uh, pedestrian intersections every three to 400 feet along 41 with pedestrian connections to the metro train stations, and we're looking at extensive uh, bus systems and bikeways that tie lakeside back into uh, Chicago. And as uh, Nasucha mentioned, uh, Cisco is looking at the whole world of ITC to wire uh, this community in very
2: innovative ways. (laughs) I can't read that little screen. Before you go, let me just pipe in. Yeah, sure. So, Phil just went through some technical slides that talk about what kind of vision we're trying to kind of fit to the lakeside development. And the reason for this study with these consultants is because. Over the years, I mean, you, Phil mentioned his, his child is now in college, right? During college?
3: Soon graduating. Right, and so,
2: and I got married and I'm expecting in June my second. So we've been working on this some time. The team is very close, but I think we, we really needed to use this opportunity of the, not only the economic downturn in a positive way, but for us gave us more time to redirect the focus of the development to really dig in and decide how to create branding and an identity for this project so people understand that this is a place that you want to be at. Right. We are not just this cool little thing happening in the Midwest. This, is, this project has civic and, and legacy un, overtones, kind of reminiscent to Daniel Burnham's planning at the turn of the century. We are planning for the next 150 years for Chicago. We're not just going to call up Comet and people's energy, which is fine to do, and do business as usual. This is a real opportunity to assert ourselves as a different player in development. So, we're turning that all around, and this study that we were just concluding in about four weeks really helps sets the stage to come forward with clear recommendations on, yes, this is district energy, if that's what we choose to do, and this is how it's done, and that's how it relates to the development. Because you can meet with different uh, companies to your blue in the face, but it doesn't mean there's that business acumen there to really like push it forward. So I just wanted to clarify why we're doing this, why it's so important, and that we've had a little bit of extra time to do that, also with the delay of the road, which I'll get into when I'm back up there to explain to you why we've had a little bit more time to do this kind of planning with Phil and the rest of the team. Thanks, Phil.
3: I think it's also uh, a great way to uh, discuss how the region should be growing. uh, If we're building at a a density high enough to supply district heating and cooling, uh, building on a brownfield site or a a new greenfield site, a post-industrial site at the lakefront uh, for possibly 25,000 people. This is going to be uh, a much smarter alternative than looking at the Chicago region continuing to grow at two to four residential units per acre further and further out uh, from the center of the city. Uh, I'm going to let Nasucha continue
2: on with the open space. It's just well for you to read, anyways. So part of our study has included the the parks. We've taken this further. We're identifying that our site is a continuation of the chain of public parks in Chicago. So you can see our site here next to Rainbow Park and Calumet Park. Both of the parks uh, around us have beaches. So that's a real positive asset that we need to remember. And then, of course, we have all these wonderful parks that have been around for a long time. So that's um, A major asset is really Lake Michigan for the development. So a little bit about the ore walls. This is where the raw material was stored when they made steel. And so the raw material came into that North Slip on big, tr- big barges. And then they dumped the iron ore and coke in between those ore walls. We're going to keep the southernmost one, this one here. And then the others will be demolished over time as we get into those phases. And we really think that that can be an activated public park. The city has expressed interest in, in buying that park. We've programmed with Skidmore many different ideas, You know, really exciting kind of green lighting, movies in the park. Uh, rock climbing, I and mean, you can go on and on about how you could program the ore walls. Here's a rendering showing what it could look like with uh, people kind of walking by. You could do a sculpture garden and a place to commemorate all the steel workers because there were almost 20,000 or more people working there, and we'd like to acknowledge them somewhere on the site. The Mud to Parks program is really important. This is how the parks are going to be developed. All of the green fringe around the site that you've been seeing today is being dedicated to the city of Chicago, or will be, just just about all finished in the next year. And the Mud to Parks program has been around since uh, about 2003. It's a partnership with the state of Illinois and the city. So they're dredging Lake Calumet area because some of those, the lakes there were too low, and bringing that nutrient-rich mud on barges to the site, and then spreading that on the site and seeding it, and that's the park. So we have our first park that came in in 08 already. Uh, while it's not open to the public yet, it's already really developing, and then another whole uh, tranche will be laid this spring, close to phase one, which really makes sense in terms of our planning to have the parks, phase one as we get that moving, and then just north you have Rainbow Park. Access, Uh, Phil's touched on some of these points already, so I'll just go through these. We've been talking more about rail and how to get to the airports and how to get people from the site to where they want to go. Of course, Gary Airport will be more and more uh, significant, We've been working with the Northwest Indiana RDA, the Redevelopment Authority, and developing a relationship with them. We do see this project as a regional project. It's not just lakeside and South Shore. So we have to understand commerce, people relocating to Indiana, and all those relationships. So that's why we have Gary Airport there, and we've really been working on on that. And also trying to understand what the best way is with our consultants on how to get people to the airports, for example, and to other places like downtown from the site. And Gary, Gary Airport,
3: less than a 15-minute drive from the, from the site.
2: And most of you know they had their first commercial flight recently, and funding has gone into the extension of that runway. So this then helps reduce travel time in half. You have the times here listed. And Gary then becomes increasingly important as this development moves forward. Rail is key. We need to really think about how to get commuters around. People are going to be getting out of their cars more and more as things go forward. We want this to be a place where people can live and work and play. So we have to figure out how to include the existing metro stations with our development. Bus service is critical. We spent many months working with CTA to figure out how to pull the buses into the site. And as we study this more, we may need to do additional uh, accessibility. But right now, these are the main bus corridors. 79th is the biggest, uh, most busy bus corridor in Chicago. And that's the northern end of our site. So that's going to be critical. The city is concluding a study on the South Lakefront public transportation over the next couple of months themselves. So we've been coordinating with them on that as well. Bus rapid transit is something BRT to really look at. This can get people out of their cars and onto public transportation in an affordable, easy way. There's different types of buses that are available. We've been working with the team to identify what would be really fitting for Lakeside. If they'll jump in here anytime. Okay. Bikeways key. Uh, when we started this, we were working with Mayor Daly's administration. He was a really avid biker, uh, cyclist, and so we made sure to include a lot of bikeways. We felt like it's the really right thing to do. We're going to be continuing the bike lanes coming from the north down to the site, and so you see the red lines there through the open space uh, at the fringe of the development. And cycle storage as well. And then as we began talking more about transportation and transit, we realized that we had to think about water taxi service and access to downtown. Uh, Of course, it would probably be seasonal. You couldn't do it every month of the year. It's something that really needs to be considered to get people back up north or down to the site, to Lakeside. And then US-41. So this is a huge milestone for us. The Lakeshore Drive extension, uh, was the funding was appropriated a decade ago. We've been waiting for this road for a very long time. The road work started several years back. The roadbed was laid. We have that through the site. And then there was a bit of a pause. There was the Olympics. There were some other things that were more important for Chicago to kind of pay attention to. We've gotten everything back on track. We're working with the mayor, Emanuel's administration, and the road is going to be starting in two weeks. And it will be done next year in 2013. So that then changes everything in terms of our timing for phasing. And we are now going to be looking aggressively at how to position phase one to move forward in terms of retailers. And... Just wanted to show kind of the old alignment before we became involved in the current alignment, which really is a wonderful boulevard. We have a section to show you here, which shows you what it's going to look like when it's completed next year. The road should be open for traffic this December, concrete all poured, and then the landscaping going in next spring. So we uh, hope to have some kind of uh, event with the city, to kind of a ribbon cutting to announce this in the next couple months. We're just very pleased this has happened, and we've been waiting for this a very long time. So what have we been doing all this time? We talk about the seven years we've been at this. This is the the third joint venture. Some different players came and went. Uh, We spent a lot of time getting entitlements. We needed to rezone the site. It was zoned manufacturing for steel production. So phase one is uh, planned development. The rest of the site, uh, master planning guidelines. Folks who then come in later to do block development will go back to the zoning department for a little bit lesser type of administration approval. We went from 1998, just a couple thousand units, to in 2010, 13,575 dwelling units approved, which gives you about 25,000 residents ultimately. So we've really added a lot of value to the site as an asset through our entitlements process and about 500,000 square feet of commercial space. We also spent a lot of time working on getting a tax increment financing package together with the city. That also was accomplished in the end of 2010. So for phase one, we have a $98 million TIF, which will pay for all the infrastructure. So I mentioned the site is a slag-filled site. We don't have infrastructure on site, so those dollars will all go to build the roads, the streets, uh, I'm sorry, the lights, the, the curbs for phase one. And every new phase will require a new TIF. And this is really, when you're looking at the TIF ordinance and the requirements for a TIF, It's a real blighted area. This really qualifies as a TIF. It's the right use. It's the wonderful tool to help get this thing off the ground. Then, of course, we have to set uh, some accomplishments. We have to lease 60% of whatever we're going to build in phase one, pre-lease. Then the city will sell the bonds. And then we can go ahead and conclude our financing package. So we have thresholds to meet, too, on our side. But it was really innovative for the city to push forward and get this done for this project. Just wanted to highlight the phasing a little bit. So phase one is at the north. You can see that here, up at 79th. This should probably start construction maybe in 14. Since the road is going to be finished next year, we can now move forward with that schedule. That would then move us to phase two, which hopefully would be around the slip, the North Canal, because people love to be around water. And it's a natural place to go. We also have this high school here. This is the alderman's preferred location for a new high school. Then moving into phase three over time and phase four. So you're looking at about 40 years of construction and build out. Can't really do it much faster in the US. I mean, of course, it's based on velocity and absorption. This isn't China where we can say, hammer down, just make it happen, or Songdo Korea. We get that. But it's probably about 35 to 40 years. Um, Special uses, wanted to highlight what we've been up to lately. We had a big concert last summer. Some of you may have heard of it. It was called the Dave Matthews Band Caravan. We had about 105,000 people show up over three days. These are people who'd never really been to this area, and we had no negative incidents. We had no problems. The community shored up. They participated. They provided taco stands on 87th Street. Everybody called taxis for other people. Um, 50% of people took public transportation and did not drive. This was a partnership we did with Jam Productions. So. We have a five-year option to do more concerts with them if they can locate the talent going forward. So just wanted to show you some cool images about the concert. This is, again, the site with the concert area layout and then the parking to the south. We also have a velodrome, which is a bike racing track. It's a temporary track to train for the Olympic sport. It's not as popular in the U.S. as it is in Europe and Asia, but it's growing. There are some in the United States. The closest would be in Northbrook, but the track's not that great. So this fellow is Emmanuel Bianchi who came to us, private business owner. And this is his passion, and he does a lot of youth bike training. So he set this up at the site, and we have um, the track up. He also has a youth a bike training program to help the local youth who would never be exposed to a sport like this otherwise. So. That's kind of a really cool thing happening. And then riders just come down and train and ride uh, whenever the weather's decent for them. Here's a picture of a rider there. And these bikes are no gears. It's all you and the bicycle. It's actually very difficult. He wants to build a facility with Olympic training and a big velodrome, the world's best velodrome. So this is his rendering. Uh, Hopefully, he, he gets there. We're trying to support him. We think it's a really great use. We know we need a new high school, and that we have support from the city on that. So here's a rendering about what that could look like. And then, of course, phase one, as we begin that, we're going to be focusing on retail. Of course, we need some bigger box anchors. We need grocery. We have kind of a food desert issued in the area. So we know we need to focus on that. But eventually, too, we would like to see residential rental in there as well, and activated median. So it'll come in sub-phases. But that's a rendering of a project we did in Clarendon in the DC area which has mixed uses, it's a lifestyle center, it's 24 hours, you have really activated activities where the buildings are in a backdrop and the social gathering becomes the focus. A new research and innovation center, we've really been pushing hard to figure out how to do R&D on the site, research and development. We are talking to Argonne, which is a big science hub just out of Chicago and they're managed by University of Chicago and funded by the feds. So we, you know, trying to meet with them, figure out what they need, how to push this forward. It's the right time. And I think that would really be a great anchor, job creation, growth for the site. <laughs> and this, I save the best for last. This is the spark to really kick off this development. We need something to, to make this thing fly and to knock it out of the park. And we think that this Obama presidential library is the right use for that. We're very excited about this. We've been pushing it hard internally uh, the previous years, but now we're talking more about it. We think that for so many reasons it's the right fit. We have um, his formal senatorial district in our area, his own home not far from the site. We know it's a heck of a lot cheaper to have the, the library at our site where we have all this open space and a blank slate than going to Hawaii with a family of six. I mean, those plane tickets are cheap. So. There's a lot of reasons why we think it's a good fit, and so we're really trying to push this forward. We've researched a lot of the other libraries. We know what's required. There's things like federal setbacks you know, that you have to have and certain open space requirements. You can't have it shoved in the middle of a busy block. So uh, you'll probably be hearing more about this. Here's some other renderings. The park, the Obama beach, the promenade. This boomerang shape is so important because it's on the lakefront land. Looking back to downtown Chicago, we have this wonderful view of downtown. And it really would be this Legacy Center. Zoomed in a little bit now, looking south, you can see how that would fit. Right, uh, right against the water, I think it would be really lovely. And oops, this is the view you would see from that Legacy Center, the Presidential Library. This is taken from the site in that park area looking at downtown Chicago. So this is the, the whole city view that we're able to see when we're at the site. So I wanted to leave you with that just in your mind, as you think, and talk to your colleagues and people in, in your profession, that that's something we're really trying to do. I'm sure Adam has more questions than all of you do as well. Thank you for letting us present today, and great group. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Nasutya. That was great. Um, so we're going to uh, probably break for audience uh, questions at about a quarter after. but. Um, I wanted to ask a couple of follow-up questions here um, of the group, and um, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, about the TIF and working with the city, real quick. Um, obviously, um, they have uh, you know stepped up with the with the TIF uh, with the TIF. How um, how important was the city support and the community support for helping this project to move forward?
2: We really needed the the TIF to be able to put the phase one package together, because nobody, no other developer has been able to come in and really kind of transform a plan or create a plan to financially do this development, even in a smaller phase. So, but for the TIF, we wouldn't be able to do this project or phase one. So we really needed the city support, and that's all the city departments, and we, we sloughed through many, many, many meetings with all the, the different levels. We went through many different uh, planning administrat- administrators, heads of finance, legal, city uh, chief of staff, and you know, every time those changes would occur, we'd have to reposition, re-educate, and start all over again. So without that, though, without their support, and they did continue to support us and really try to give us everything that they could to make it happen, it's really unprecedented. They've never approved anything for a site like this right. to this scale with the way that the package worked out. We wouldn't be able to do the development. So. That's
1: great. Um, you also mentioned U.S. Steel as a, uh, you know, as a partner in the site. Where, where do they fit in?
2: U.S. Steel has been the landowner for all these decades, clearly. Um, this is the third joint venture. Right now, it's just McCaffrey and U.S. Steel. And we uh, own the land with U.S. Steel. And they're fully uh, invested. We meet with them you know, weekly by phone. They're in Pittsburgh. But we have monthly calls and meetings. And we're on email. And so we're really shoulder-to-shoulder partners. And we have their full support. And they really support this whole development vision. Fantastic.
1: Now, you obviously went through a number of the green elements uh, with this development, which is tremendous because you really are at, you know, on a frontier here and have an opportunity to just set the gold standard for these types of communities. Um, what do you think are sort of the most key and most compelling elements of that? And how is that aligning with some of the initiatives that, uh, that Rahm Emanuel and, and the city are looking at right now?
2: Well, I think Phil articulated them very well in the slides he mentioned. We're looking at energy, water, waste. He mentioned job creation, too. You know, just recently, Mayor, Mayor uh, Emanuel laid out his blueprint for Chicago. And if you looked at the summary, there's about nine goals in there. We, we looked at the goals when it came out last week, and about six of those goals are our goals. So we really see a lot of alignment in terms of job creation, uh, green uh, manufacturing, clean energy. Economic development and re- renewable energy, and so I think Rahm Emanuel's administration is trying to push, you know, all types of small startups and incubators to that. As are we. You heard me talk about R and D. So there's a lot of alignment right now, and there's like a convergence happening. So it's really important. Right.
1: Um, Phil, anything that you want to add to that?
3: Well, I think I, in addition, I, I think the uh, investment in the Lakefront Park system will be such a phenomenal amenity for the city. It will. Bring many people from Chicago and the region to the site.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, I know that uh, uh, we talked about, or you know, it came out that the site was looking for a um, lead neighborhood development. Um, and I, it may still be early in the process, but can you uh, yeah. tell me a little bit about that?
2: So, back in about 2004 slash 5, the city uh, applied for a lead neighborhood development designation with our site. As, uh, as well as about 120 other infill sites to the west of the development. And this was accepted by the United States Green Building Council and is a stage one lead ND pro- program. It was pilot program. It was the, one of the first in the nation. Right, right. And so now we're moving towards stage two certification. So we are a lead ND project.
3: I think we're actually still the largest lead ND yeah, project I would agree. Right. in the yeah. U.S. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I
3: but right. it was a very good set of guidelines for us to... Uh, continue to use as benchmarks against the master plan, and uh, uh, I think it helped justify a lot of what we at the time were calling best practices in urban design were actually justified by the lead ND
1: criteria. Right. Yeah, so, it was the,
3: it was really a, a good tool for us.
1: Definitely. Right. Ahead of the curve and then uh, kind of validated so that,
3: yeah,
1: roll it in. Um, in terms of challenges, you know, you talked about some things, but what would you say um, sort of the biggest challenge or a couple of the biggest challenges that you faced in, in this project?
2: Uh, one of the biggest challenges is the scale. So I talked about that in the beginning a little bit. So we've had some diagrams created. We created a marketing center. I didn't show those in the slides, but we did create a marketing center just over a year ago. There's one small remaining building, so we have a state-of-the-art marketing center in there. We hold about 90% of our project meetings there. Mm -hmm. So getting people to the site, showing them the site, explaining it's not in Indiana, it doesn't take an hour to get there, you can be back in your office within two hours, including Mm -hmm. a site tour and a meeting, uh, has been a challenge. But I think with the marketing center and kind of being able to really accommodate people and bring them there has helped. So that's something we've been able to turn around. And then, of course, just getting the the word out about the development on a a local, regional, national, and global scale has been not only challenging, but takes a lot of effort. And you mentioned some goals at the beginning of your presentation, which I think we're trying to kind of stay on as well, just that focus and that commitment to making that happen in those circles.
1: Right. And it, Well, it is interesting. Phil, did well, you to... Well, wanna... I was just
3: going to say, I, I think the perception of the site is one of the biggest challenges. It really isn't that far away, but it seems remote. Uh, many people don't know where it is, and until 41 is built, you don't really know how to get there.
2: Exactly.
3: And uh, it GPS really. GPS takes you
2: to ninety ninety four. Yeah. Yeah. So.
3: It's actually very close, uh, and uh, and I think we'll be connected quite easily into the rest of Chicago. But today there's a perception issue that it's it's very far away and hard to get to. Right.
2: So we're trying to overcome that.
1: Right. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, Sometimes there's a perception because you guys have been working on it for so long that maybe you know, the economic downturn was a, a negative impact on what you were doing. I think you touched on it in your presentation. It actually, strangely enough, was a positive for you guys.
2: Can
1: right. you tell me more I, about that?
2: Yeah, I can. I think that you know, we were racing to create this phase one plan that we showed, and we were also focusing at that point before the downturn on a big tract of residential housing closer to the slip and this was going to be how we were going to start. And then the market changed. So we have had the luxury of time of repositioning our direction, establishing a strong vision and a branding, and really pulling in these sustainable green concepts to be the place where everybody wants to be. So in that sense, we've had the luxury of time, and it's been a positive. Right. Yeah.
1: And that'll help you, yeah. I mean, hit the, hit the, uh, the market with the momentum, having so. all that behind I it. I think so. Excellent. Um, in terms of the environmental status, um, you know, you look at the history of the site, I mean, I'm sure there were many issues that you struggled with and and dealt with early on in the project. What's the status now?
2: Well, when U.S. Steel was uh, finishing clearing all the buildings before there were any joint ventures for development, uh, they did a lot of cleanup themselves. They entered into the State of Illinois EPA program for environmental cleanup. So they had to do a lot of soil and water testing. They did all that and were issued a no further remediation letter. So when we became involved, we wanted to have uh, confidence that that was still valid. So we had a comfort letter uh, put forth to kind of revalidate the previous finding. Mm -hmm. So we have a no further remediation letter that gives us uh, the green light to go ahead for residential and and commercial development for the site. So in that sense, it's a green field, not a brown field, because we're able to go forward. Right. So the majority of the cleanup has been accomplished. Okay. wonderful.
1: Um, and, and I imagine the... Uh,
2: and we, oh, we also got a $100 million uh, of environmental insurance in case we are that. digging somewhere and find some green goo, which can happen on a steel mill site. I mean, this, this is how these sites are. You have all those trains that were transporting stuff everywhere all over. You could find something somewhere. So we also did that just to give us extra kind of comfort. Right, excellent.
1: Um, well, I see that we are uh, exactly at the uh, quarter after, and I'm going to stay on schedule here. So... Um, Thank you very much uh, for the presentations, and we'll open up the floor to uh, questions from anyone in the audience.
0: Hi, I'm Bree Aksik from uh, Guidepost Solutions. I actually currently live down in that
2: area, and I was wondering how are you guys going to integrate the current neighborhood with um, the new development? So, we have been for some time now holding regular open houses. We have established a local newsletter, uh, which we also put business updates in, but it gives the local community groups an opportunity to present what's going on at a local level. We work very closely with both of the ward offices on a weekly level, a weekly basis. I would say we're kind of a team at this point, given the frequency of our conversations. And we also invite the communities to use the groups to use our marketing center. So we have groups every week or so now using our marketing center for their own purposes. And we're also working very closely with the major organizations in the area. So we know who those are, the Clarition Associates, uh, the Neighborhood House. There's a lot of uh, smaller groups as well, but we really try to, we're working with LISC as well, pull all of those groups in and make them aware about what we're doing and then make sure that we're staying on track with our just information campaign so everybody's clear about what's happening, when it's happening, and everybody has a chance to speak with us and that we're open. So we've been doing that for some time now and I think it's just a matter of keeping that up so everybody feels like they have access and that we're transparent. We also have a local business directory resource guide we just issued about six months ago, we pulled in all the seventh and tenth businesses and give them an opportunity to be in this resource guide, and that's on our our website and our Facebook page, and that's something we're doing to kind of pull the community together as well. You may want to also mention the alderman support. Phil is reminding me, yes, that I should probably also mention that we couldn't have done this to this date without the aldermanic support. He's clearly right. Uh, As I mentioned, we are a team, and we we need them to help us push this forward on every level. They have been so supportive. There's no way we would be where we are today without them. that is, you know, extension of that City of Chicago slide I had at the beginning. It's really the aldermen as well are part of our team. Thank you for your anybody, question.
1: Anybody else? Oh, come on back
2: there. Uh, Brian Hayes with Pecknell Industrial Properties.
0: Uh, just curious at this
2: point, what do you see as the, the anchor development? You've got all these different phases and different uses. Who who steps up to the plate first? Right, so we're clearly trying to push that research and development piece forward. I mentioned that. But phase one is our first piece. The road will be finished, the extension of Lakeshore Drive, that wonderful boulevard next year. And then we're going to be pulling in significant retail activity. So we need a clear, large space for power boxes to start, then with smaller inlines as well. So it'll be a combination of both. That will help people feel comfortable coming down to the site and create a lot of activity as a destination, and then the residential coming right after that. Uh, That's what we have to work on immediately. But with a site this large, there cannot only be one use or anchor. It has to be many things happening all the time to keep everything alive. So interim uses such as as the velodrome, such as repeated concerts. We're thinking of, uh, we're actually working with a group now to put in an urban farm this year. Uh, Another group has come forward. They want to do a sports mud event this fall. These types of things, over and over again, every year, will help build the awareness and act as kind of mini anchors, even though they're interim uses, interim site uses. Can you can you define what sports yeah, mu- mud sports is? Sports
1: mud. I was just that was my follow I'm not allowed
2: question. to say the name of the group, but there are these. It's interesting. We've learned a lot about the demographics of these races, but there's uh, sporting events all over the nation where uh, predominantly women in their 30s and 40s uh, run in a lot of mud through an obstacle course and then <laughs> win the event. Huh. It's, it's of kind of like research. a triathlon, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's more like training, and the demographic is really that. It's, uh, it's very popular. They're done all over the country, hmm. and this group has been working with us for about a year, and they would like to do that this fall. So that would be a great thing to have at the site. And then also we've been approached by... A group that does car racing, they want to do a European Grand Prix event at the site. They have a, a really great plan that doesn't interfere. Although it's not very green, Phil is shuddering. <laughs> will help us. I didn't say anything. Uh, no, no, you you don't have say, to. So we, we feel like that will give us a lot of uh, activity. We have about 250,000 just for one day with an event like that. I really so.
3: like the sports mud thing. Yeah. I think that's, that's
2: a good I'm thing. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, right here.
0: Hello. Hi. Um, Will there be any government subsidized housing on
2: that? We have for the TIF to put in 20% of affordable housing. So right now we have that in our plan. And as we move forward, uh, our company, our joint venture, doesn't do affordable housing ourselves. So we'll have another group, a third party, come in and do that housing, and they will have to reach out and use other subsidies. Uh, We would look at something like New Markets Tax Credits, which we've done with with the Department of Treasury to help offset the costs of the development. NTBUs for housing. And we're also partnering with a group who's uh, going to be doing some urban infill housing adjacent to the development. There have been increased foreclosures, and there is a lot of vacant lots in the south side of Chicago, more than you'd see up north. So prime and ready for just doing a lot of great infill, hopefully at a a green, sustainable level.
1: Which came first, the uh, slag or the steel mill?
2: The steel mill came first, but they needed land quickly, so then the slag happened.
1: So could you could just mention a little bit about the technical challenges you have with yeah. 20 feet of slag and existing foundations? Is it just a building-by-building building engineering issue, or is it big? Well,
3: uh, there are some specific challenges with uh, a lot of these large foundations still in the ground. Uh, the, uh, the slag itself is a clean material and very porous, so that also helps us in terms of uh, uh, dealing with stormwater issues. But uh, uh, there may be a lot of constraints that may uh, prohibit basements or below-grade parking. So uh, parking may have to be integrated in the uh, design of the building mm-hmm. above street level. Uh, and, it, and there is sort of a site-by-site uh, basis because of where buildings were with, like the where they rolled uh, steel, the foundations are very thick, and those foundations are all still there. so.
2: So you'd have to do surgical demolition through those foundations. You're not removing them all because they stay in place with the slag and it creates the site as it is. So you overlay, you know where your underground stuff is, your geotechnical challenge, and then you just go through.
3: But That's a really good question because it's a very, very unique site. There aren't many sites like this in the world and and I think uh, there will be sites that will pose some extreme difficulties, whereas Nasucha says the foundations will have to punch through mm-hmm. those existing foundations.
2: But if you have, like, low rights, how do you get a single family home rural houses? I mean, you're not going to... It's just a matte foundation. It's just a foundation. Right. It, no. you, case since the bedrock is when you're looking at you know, 15, 20 stories, mm-hmm. eight, 8, 10, 12 stories, 7 stories. That's just matte foundation.
1: Anybody else? I've got, uh, okay. okay, if no one else has it, i got one more question. Okay. So in terms of uh, the green elements and some of these other decisions you had to make, you know, deciding between one or the other, I mean, how difficult was that process to, to make a determination on sort of what direction you wanted to go in with respect to, you know, certain green strategies and technologies and where you wanted to, you know, build this or that?
2: You mean the study we're doing for the renewable energies, um, energy and waste? or?
1: Well, I just mean, in, in, I guess in general, it's kind of a broad question. As you're looking at a site like this, and there's just, you know, in this blank slate, there's so many different options. Um, there's some limitations here and there. But, you know, with sustainable technologies, you have that. so many different options. And I know that there's a lot of companies out there that say, hey, you know, we can, mm-hmm. we can do X, we can do Y, mm-hmm. we, we can do Z. How do you look at all that? and integrate that into your plan and make the hard decisions.
2: So that's why we started this whole study process at the end of last year to work with our team who's helping us narrow in and zero in on what we should be doing in terms of each of those technologies. And we've partnered with Clean Energy Trust, which is a really wonderful organization in Chicago that helps incubators and startups find uh, funding and also connects them to other opportunities for site locations or whatever other assistance they may need to kind of go forward and to be a successful clean, uh, clean business, clean energy, or whatever their concept is. And so they just had their clean energy challenge uh, last week and they gave away quite a bit of money to a group of startups here in the city. There's also quite a bit of venture capitalists funding these type of companies. And you can go on the internet and find Clean Energy Trust. They do a lot of really great work. They're also partnered into a lot of really civic leading players in Chicago and the city of Chicago. So partnering with them is helping us understand what's doable in the state of Illinois and in Chicago. They understand regulatory approval processes and things like that in order to actually take it to completion if you have an idea that you want to do. And what is a proper fit? The team is helping us lay this out with Skidmore's leadership.
3: But I think it also, what's interesting about Clean Energy Trust is they... They are dealing with a lot of startup uh, green energy mm-hmm. companies. And the site, because the site is large, uh, one of the interim uses could be really product development and research on the site, experimenting with with uh, energy technologies.
2: A living laboratory. Yeah.
3: So so we're very excited about
1: that as That's
3: well. That's a great point. That's
2: very new. That's just happening in the past months. I got you. Yep. And
1: with these interim uses, are you, um, and you may have touched on this, but. Are you um, going out and sort of soliciting those or are folks coming to you with mostly Really you know, really ideas? both.
2: You know, we have a, kind of a boutique-sized firm, but we have a lot of people out there doing different types of real estate focus in the city and we get approached and then sometimes we know people inside who may know of someone. Uh, it's kind of both ways right now. We're kind of attacking but also receiving. So
1: right. well, mixture. It's, it's yeah. a good good place to be. Yeah. Good place to be. And I guess the last question is, you know, there's so many elements of this project. Uh, to the extent that, that folks want to try to connect with it and find a, you know, a, a place within it for their business or their, um, you know, their, their, their industry, how, how do they go about connecting with the site?
2: So they would just reach out to McCaffrey and Trust and let us know what they're interested in doing. And we take each uh, proposal as a different negotiation and we give them you know, full attention. We're open for big, brilliant, bright ideas. We, we know we cannot develop 600 acres on our own. That would be really narcissistic to think we could do that. And so now is the time, since we have our approvals, we have our TIF, we have the road coming in, that we're green light means go now. So we're you know open for business, and we hope that through the presentations that we do and our marketing campaign, we're going to be able to really get the word out about that. Excellent. Thank
1: you. Well, thank you both so much. It was a great, uh, great presentation, and learned a lot about the project.
0: Thank you. Thank you again to our speakers, and please fill out your surveys.